Hey folks, welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast and the Mindset Matters Edition, where I'm joined by my wife and Olympic mental performance coach, Stephanie Hanlon-Francie. Together, Stephanie and I engage in a conversation about different aspects of what we refer to as Mindset Matters. We believe that we're living in and through one of the most impactful global events in history. And let's face it, few have trained for or are equipped to deal with the life that is unfolding before them. The need to pivot in your business, your career, or perhaps deal with shifting family dynamics lies before many. We hope to inspire you to ask yourself questions or pause to consider how you view your world, your life. We'll invite you to check in on where you are on your journey, and are you still clear on your intended destination, or has it changed? Join us for this in our series of Mindset Matters. Listen in, enjoy. Hey folks, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Mindset Matters episode. Stephanie, welcome. Hey hon. Now, before we get started, and I want to give everybody a nice reminder, please, if you are enjoying these series, please share them, like them, comment on them, rate them on whatever platform you happen to be listening to, and that would be very appreciated. And then announcement number two is that this is coming out somewhere around the end of July, and you and I are going to take a break in August. So we will be producing, however, the best of series. We are going to let the team choose the best of series for August, and we will be- Or we could take some requests. Or take some requests. From our listeners. There you go. Which one do you want to hear again? Hear again or share. So anyways, we're going to re-release release some of those. So uh, give Stephanie and I a little bit of a mental health break. And uh, that's that for that. Okay. Let's do this. On to episode, I think this is episode 42. I think so. Yeah. No, 43, I think. Okay, whatever. 42 it's... was um, no wrong bus. Okay. <laughs> there is no wrong bus. Now, this one is about some lessons that were learned while working with the NHL teams and in the NHL. Now, both of you and I, both you and I did that uh, just because of the nature of the businesses we were in at the time. And uh, we learned actually a lot of things back in those days. And we wanted to share, this is some of the kind of uh, coaching that you've done over the years with some of your players, but some of your clients, because as we've said before, although not everybody relates to team sports or even relates to sports, Ultimately, these lessons can be carried through to day-to-day -day life. And even if you don't play a sport and we'll give it a context from that sport, I mean, ultimately, there's lessons learned. Well, life is a team sport. It is. You know, and you think about in team building and in the corporate world or in small business, in offices, it's a team environment. So whether we like it or not... Life is a team sport. Life is a team sport. Well, that goes back to it takes a village to raise a child. <laughs> exactly. You know? Well, I know. And we have to be able to expand into that mindset when we're looking and living our lives backwards. And that's what I like to say when I talk about the lessons that I've learned is that, uh, gosh, we just live life backwards. It'd be so much more fun. <laughs> Wouldn't it? You know, hindsight is we're all geniuses in hindsight, aren't we? Mm -hmm. So as we go along here in this particular segment, you know, the thing about it all is that in the world of professional sport and even in world an Olympic class sport. It is a different world. It's hard to describe and we're not going to try and describe it actually because we had to learn a lot of things in that space. And, you know, when we walk into the dressing room of an NHL team, that's their world. That's their environment. Don't mess with the mojo. And you are kind of like that proverbial pebble in the shoe. Totally. Because you're not supposed to really be there and they're going to put up with you because you're doing something amazing. But... 
just know you're a disturbance. Yeah, and a distraction. <laughs> and, and a distraction. You know, a couple of things that happened over the years were, you know, I had to earn my way in. And I think that's like anything. You know, we have to earn our way in to be accepted. We have to earn our way in to be respected. And I always said that I was never going to demand respect. You know, I'm going to walk into these environments, whether it's um, an NHL dressing room or if it's the stage that I got to the opportunity to speak on the rain stage or walking into an arena <laughs> for the first time at Worlds or an Olympics, is that I'm, I'm not going to demand respect. I'm going to go in quietly with a smile on my face, observe and look around and earn my way. Which means being respectful of the environment because you are kind of a thing that's stepping I'm an into the- I was you, an outsider. You're an outsider. But, and, and ultimately, let's be clear about a couple things. You know, number one is that the players appreciated that one of the reasons that they played at the level they played at was because of the support they got from the outside world, in your case, in power skating, in my case, in working with their equipment and helping them to perform and get the most out of the equipment, in this case, skates that they were wearing. And, you know, there's then there's the nutritionists and there's the uh, yoga and, uh, you know, the dry land trainers. There's a lot of things that go into that, but you're not a player. Exactly. And, and that's a very elite and closed circle. And this brings me to my first, to our first lesson. And many times when you're working in a team sport, whether it's hockey, football, basketball, corporate America, whatever. They swimming, say it doesn't matter. Swimming, they yeah. say there's no I in team. And that is so wrong. I understand the intention of that quote unquote, you know, rule of life when it comes to team sport. But there is an I in team. You have to, have to, have to have an eye in team in order to be a great teammate. I'll expand on that. Well, what it means to me is that if you're training as an individual, you're training, you're a human being, you're an individual, you have a, a, the responsibility to bring your best self to the team. If you don't do that, you're useless to them. Mm -hmm. So the eye in team isn't about own, putting everybody else first period, and yourself second. It's about understanding that you are, as an individual, a cog in a wheel that is so important. Because if it's out just a little bit, we know about trajectory. If, if I'm not my best self, if I'm not taking care of the I am, I'm not a great teammate. So that's why when I say, when I hear people say there's no I in team, I get it. But they're talking about the selfishness. They're talking about, you know, ego and they're talking about sure. wrapping, you know, the whole team or the experience or the win around one person. But that's so 1980. Come on. It's we know now that it takes a lot to build yourself as a performer and to understand that high performance is a, is a function of low tolerance. And if we don't wrap ourselves as individuals around what we need to do to bring our best selves, crappy teammates. Well, at the end of the day, it's a bit of the sum of the parts, right? And you are one of the parts and it is up to you to be a hundred percent to the degree that you can is show up a hundred percent. So in that regard, there is the I in team is me being a hundred percent of my best self. Exactly. And not to deny that, not to put yourself down because don't forget when I, I mean, I've told a story many times about certain players that put everybody else in front of them. You know, we talk about the circle of support. You know, they had everybody in their performer star, their parents, their girlfriend, their sure. teammates, their competitors, the referees. The, and it was exhausting. You can't, there's just a place where you have to be able to stand alone in your power so that you can bring yourself to the game. Beautiful. Okay, so then there's a, another lesson that you often share, which is stop trying so hard. 
Oh, the trying too hard guy. The trying too hard guy, you know. <laughs> but what does that even mean? I know in hockey we joke about it is the trying too hard guy holds on to the stick too tight and then is really not effective in his stick handling because he's trying too hard. Exactly. And they conflate that with caring so much and trying so hard to be good that it actually backfires. And what I always say to the guys is that, you know, if you're trying to, so let's say you're, I don't know, let's, we're going to the bar. The guys are all going to the bar and there's that one guy that say, Hey, can I buy you a drink? And Hey, let's do this. And you know, he's kind of dancing around and he's trying to get attention and that's trying too hard guy. And back in the eighties and nineties, when I was working in that world, there was always two or three trying too hard guys on the team. And it, it actually repelled the other guys. It worked against them. What they were trying to do was to be inclusive and to connect and to be generous, but it worked against them. But it's interesting that, you know, in reading the book, The Fourth Turning, and you're going to wonder, what the hell are you talking about right now? There's a book called The Fourth Turning, which talks about the generational shifts. You mentioned the 80s and 90s, and that's what brought me back to the book, The Fourth Turning. And we look at what's happening in the evolution of people and even the difference between millennials today and millennials back in the 80s and 90s, what we would refer yeah, to exactly. back then, right? It's a different attitude and a different change. So what do we? what's the lesson in what you're sharing with somebody who's not playing a sport and in a work environment or just a normal environment? What's the lesson that you would want to give somebody from that particular, don't be the try too hard guy? Yeah. You know, it's, it's not just try too hard guy, it's gal, it's, it's yeah. all of us that are trying to fit in. And I think the hardest thing when we don't have that sense of self or that sense of self-worth and we, or maybe even just a, a self-image that we don't believe in, we try and insert ourselves into situations to fit in. And that insertion or that trying too hard actually creates a vibe around you that, that pushes people away. Because when we think about wanting to set into or, you know, talk about the cog in the wheel back to the team conversation, is that each one of us has special gifts. We have a, a role that we play. We have gifts innate Maybe some of them we don't even know about yet. But if we're trying too hard to fit in, that's where people start to push back. And it's about the fitting in piece. And just knowing that when you are in a situation, you're there because you're ready. You're mm -hmm. there because you're ready. So if you're trying too hard, it's like I have this one girlfriend, she's so beautiful, yet she was trying to be beautiful. I'm like, just be beautiful beautiful like you have to try you already are you already, you already are you already are <laughs> so that's where that kind of really landed for me but it's also i guess going back to conversations we've had in the podcast about you know going with the flow and understanding that when you tap into that energy and when you be the observer you know when to have the conversation and you don't have to force it you know there's something interesting that we learned over the years with athletes, for example, is the difference between why was it that we had so many athletes that we worked with as in, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, even with the teams. And then ultimately, we come to the conclusion, the difference between us and a fan is a big difference. So in other words, you know, this many years later, I can't think of more than, a, a gosh, I don't think I have any pictures with any of the athletes as, you know, one-on-one -on -one with them. You know, we used to get them to sign some autographs. Yeah, for fundraisers. For fundraisers <laughs> and, you know, to put in the store kind of thing to say, hey, look, look what we did. But you uh, and I were never fans. We were, we didn't show up that way. So in other words, the athlete or the 
that kind of high profile individual doesn't feel safe in a public space because they are high profile. And people flip into <clears throat> fan mode. And they flip into fan mode and there's no safety in that. So the the athlete or that high profile individual can't relax. They can't be who they really are. They've always got their performer face on because ultimately they're front facing and they don't know what pictures are being taken. They don't so know. Especially what's in the world of social media. Yeah. And they don't know what's going to be said. I mean, you think about, uh, and I say this only because whatever environment you're in, be very aware that at some point in your career and your life, you may come across a situation where you're actually with a high profile individual. And at the end of the day, they don't feel safe in a public environment. And until they do, you will never know who they are. That's exactly right. And, the, you know, to expand on that a little bit, they sometimes are in those situations because they're paid to be there. Yeah. They don't want to be there. And they they're don't. like, I'll just get me out of here. Yeah. Okay. I'll sign my autographs. I'll yeah. take some selfies. And Can I some tell people. a quick funny story about my mom? Okay, go ahead. Okay. My mom was, uh, again, the only female back in the day in the IT world. And she got, she kept getting invited to these big dinners, whether it was junior achievement or big fundraisers in, you know, in the city. And she was always the only woman at the table. And one night they were at the, it used to be called the Four Seasons in Edmonton. I think it's called the Sandman now, but <laughs> things devolve. Anyway, she was at a dinner and um, she left Michael, my brother and I at home. I was 12 and he was like probably 10. And so she gets up and she excuses herself from the table and goes over and finds a payphone. Remember payphones? <laughs> yes, honey, I remember payphones. <laughs> Gets a quarter out, puts the pay, you know, she's ready to um, make a phone call just to check in on us because she'd left us home alone. And this was huge, right? We're having, you know, this m mature moment. So anyway, she's standing there and there's this young guy, blonde kind of, you know, flowy hair and a suit and everything on the phone. And, and she's standing there waiting to make the phone call. And the guy hangs up. And he turns around and it's Wayne Gretzky. And he's probably, I don't know, 19 or 20 at the time. And my mom's standing there waiting to um, make a phone call. And he says, oh, hello. And, and mom goes, hi. And he goes, did you want an autograph? And she goes, did you want my autograph? And she goes, uh, no, do you want mine? <laughs> I'm just waiting here to make a phone call. <laughs> and it was so great because when she told that story, it was like, she knew who he was. Of course, she was a big. She was. She, she was loved a huge, Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. Loved Wayne Gretzky, yeah. but he turned around and assumed poor guy. Yeah, Because he guy. was there at that event as the celebrity, and my mom just kind of collapsed it and went, "No, do you want mine?" Well, here's the thing about it. You know, it's interesting because we see. You know, if you watch Instagram and then you watch uh, some social media, people are getting their pictures and they have all this. You know, these all these. You know, great stars or athletes around them and very few people realize that those are just paid for moments yeah, exactly. in time and, and they, all their followers they bought <laughs> truly <them. laughs> the, the people who truly work with the athletes or with the they don't ever do that because it's not a thing i know i don't think you'll ever see me posting myself with any of my athletes no i mean rarely rarely i think about how many times you've been to the olympics <laughs> and i'm going well Wh get some pictures <laughs> like oh God, Anyways, i forgot and then when you do they're really on your and phone they're really bad they're just uh, for you okay <laughs> So we carry on. Okay. We have to trust each guy to do their job. So when we talk about that in the space of sports, it makes total sense. Everybody plays a position, show up. But how do we take and translate that to what it means in business or in a career or actually in your family, in a relationship? I mean, I can translate that pretty quick, which is 
I expect everybody to play their part. And if they can't, that happens, but I want to know about it. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I can't step up in this case. So expand on that kind of lesson that you learned. Oh man, that was such a big one because there were so many times that players I was working with were all trying to fight to be the center of the first line, <laughs> you know, or just be on the first line. You can't all be on the first line. There's only three guys on the first line, right? Mm -hmm. And what happened is that there were strengths. And I think I was really blessed in back in, the, in those days that I was able to help the players pull out the things that they were really gifted at. Like some of the guys that I worked with, and one of my favorite stories was, you know, we, we have a guy that we knew for, who's actually a TV commentator now, and he was pushed and put in the role of tough guy when he got to the Oilers. And unfortunately, he was brought in in a trade with Marc Messier. So I'm talking about Louis DeBrusque amazing, amazing young man and still an amazing man, husband, father. He's a commentator now, but he has a heart of gold. He, the pressure that he was under when he got traded to Edmonton for, in the Marc Messier trade, and then he was expected to be a fighter. He, he could, yeah, strong, big, sure he could fight, but the guy could skate. The guy had soft hands. He could think the game like unbelievable. And they just didn't want him to expand out of the role that they thought he was going to be put in. So I think where I learned this lesson is that when we put people in roles that they don't shine in, we don't serve them, but, and we don't serve the team. Because he didn't, he wasn't able to flourish in that environment. He was up and down in the minors. And I think if, if in those situations, if we look at people, and allow them to do their job and allow them to expand in the role that we put them in that matches with their skill set, then we're going to have a much more powerful team. Okay. So now the next one that I want to touch on, on my list of stuffs is around errors, making mistakes, a bad play, a bad game, gosh, even perhaps a bad series of games. When you're a professional athlete, you, number one, are being paid to be brilliant, not average. Average. And there's no excuses. You know, even now, especially when, when the salaries are published, nobody wants, you know, you're paying a couple hundred bucks to go to a game and $27 for a beer. The last thing you want to do is see guys that are making that kind of money, dot, dot, dot. Right? So that's how it gets perceived in, in the public, right? That they should be excellent all yeah. the time. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting lesson that we learned. I share this with you is that, Back in those days, salaries were disclosed and, and, and you know, five, six, seven million dollars a year was big numbers. It's not big numbers today, relatively speaking, but people would have, of course, the fans are all going, we're paying him seven million dollars a year. He better show up, right. you know, and all of these things that happen. But there's a fundamental underlying truth around money. And this is something that we've shared and talked about on actually on Mindset Matters, which is money's not enough. Because if you're a player, you know, you get your signing bonus, you go out, you buy your car, you buy your truck, you spend your 150000 on your sports car or 300000 on your sports car or whatever it is. So now you've got the signing bonus, you got the sports car, you've got the contract, then you get the girl, and then you get all the attention. And then what? Then what? And boy, oh boy, this is a fundamental understanding that if those players, that's why I think the greatest players, and I'll use uh, Michael Jordan in the basketball world as an example, one of the greatest 
right? He's and he, a goat for it, sure. You know, and goat, greatest of all time. Not everybody knows oh, goat. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> but the point is, is that it wasn't about the money and it was about the money. So when we look at what's happening in the world of professional sport, and when we look at even as business owners, those individuals, her careers, you know, even if you're hiring somebody, when you look at, you know, if you kind of lift the hood and go, are they here for the money? Because, you know, that's not enough. That's not enough. And so these are things to consider. These are lessons learned along the way. And we know that, you know, we've seen, we've observed many, many times where some of the highest paid players Gosh, they actually never even made the show. They actually exactly. were drafted and were total first rounders. First rounders, and they never ever showed up after that money was put on the table because it was just about the money. And you know, it's funny, and I just don't, I just don't want to step over that because I, I just respecting our listeners going, okay, well, <laughs> if I had five or six million bucks, you know, I'd be pretty happy. Yeah, you know, and so I don't want to step over that. It's not reasonable to look at athletes or, or performers or actors with some admiration. Of and, course. and we put them on a pedestal and then they equate that with a certain monetary level. And in my experience, even with some of the performers, singers that I've worked with, money wasn't enough. It didn't heal their trauma. You know, mm-hmm. it didn't heal their wounds. And, and so having people on a pedestal that are famous or make a lot of money, I would highly, highly recommend to get them off the pedestal. 100%. And there is an expectation that if you're paying them that kind of money, it's a return on investment. I mean, at the end of the day, a player is just a player. I mean, this is a business. And if, uh, you know, in, and I remember all those years ago in another project that we had where we met with Batman and we actually had the opportunity to say, I think we can have these players on the ice for an extra 30, 60 uh, seconds, a minute to two minutes more a game. And Batman goes, you pull that off and we're all in. Like it was just imagine that. So it's just an investment is my point around all of that. So we have to look at it and go, what is driving us? So what's the lesson in that? Understand that what is driving us, if it's just about the money, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to step up and be brilliant. So love what you do and get paid well. And for you know, it. what's interesting too, just to, to dovetail off that before we go to the next one is that the players that I work with, if they were signing for 1.2 and then their next contract for three years was 6.5, they would always l- seem to live into that number. All of a sudden their houses got bigger and the diamond rings got bigger and the trips got more expensive and the wine got more expensive. It's like there wasn't a... Um, a relatedness to what was happening. And then they'd get to a point where they retired and they had the lifestyle and they couldn't sustain it. Yeah. I think it's interesting, isn't it? That, I mean, the perspective that we've gained over the years is that we see both sides. We see the players that were high paid and really stepped up and did all their thing, even the coaches. And I mean, we knew many coaches and, you know, at that level and understanding what it takes to be the best. And if it's only connected to money, you have a problem. Now, this goes to the next point that I want to make, which is the minor league attitude. Oh, this one's so good. We learned this one very early on. Very early on. And it applies in so many different it's aspects of life. too. Yeah, no, in very almost all aspects yeah, of life. You're right. And this was something that we learned in that we would talk to players who were playing in the minors. So in other words, they hadn't made the NHL team. They wanted, so they were playing in the minors, which is a grind. You know, they could be riding the bus. They're not being paid all that well. Sometimes they get a little bit of an idea. Oh, I might get to the NHL. And they really get bummed out. So the minor league attitude is, is that when they put me in the show, 
when they put me in the big team, I'll show them what I can do. Yeah, just put me in, coach. You know, it's like, you should, I'll show you. Put me, you know, give me the contract, put me in, and I'll show you what I can do. And I always remember that I had this conversation with a player, and I and I and I say I remember, I didn't remember till actually about six, seven years later that a guy came in and he goes, you know, you made all the difference in the world. And and I I, I wish I could drop the player's name, but I can't. I'm bad at names. He was a fourth liner. He's such a fan. I know. So anyways, but it doesn't matter. He comes in, he goes, you know, you made all the difference in the world. He says, the reason I got my contract was because of you. And I go, okay, I don't even. Where's rem- my percentage? I don't even remember this. But anyways, oh, cool. And he said, you know, I came in, we were, you're working on my skates and we had this conversation. And uh, you said to me, snap out of it because you'd heard me say when they show me or when I, when when, they put me in, when they put me in, I'll show them what I can do. And you looked at me and said, dude, show them what you can do and they'll put you in. They'll have no choice. And he goes, it was like you hit me in the head with a sledgehammer. And he said, you know something? I went back to uh, camp and I went to the minors. I played in the minors and I gave them the best I could ever give them. And ultimately my goal was to leave them no choice but to I put me it. on the big team, which they did. And it wasn't a big contract. Like I say, he was a fourth-line player, but which is only to say he had to work his ass off to even get that contract. Just a fourth-line player? Do you know how many guys? <laughs> I know, people, I know. Like, come that on. was only a $2 million a right? year contract. But the point is, is that that minor league attitude is, you know, do this and then I'll show you what That's I can very, do. It kind of leans into the victim mindset, doesn't it, it, it does. that we've talked about? Yeah, it does. So the point is, is regardless of what you do, if you want to get uh, seen as amazing and if you want to leave nobody the doubting doubting or the option i used to say to staff and you know this to be true i'll open the door for you it's your job to step up and do it give me a reason and leave me no alternative but to promote you give you a raise because holy crap you're amazing but if i'm pulling pushing dragging you along it doesn't work that way no it can't work that way and that's i think what's happening right now in many scenarios where People are waiting for the employer or the management or somebody to show up and give them more money so that they can then do more stuff. It doesn't work that way. I don't care who you are and in what industry, we need to take 100% responsibility of our contribution of what's happening, what we're giving, so that the giving can then create an ROI. Okay. Always have your teammates back. Go ahead. Oh, man. This one's tough. I mean, because... Sometimes when our teammates do something stupid or the things that maybe they don't, it doesn't give you the result that you want. If you throw them under the bus, that's on you. When you're on a team, and this is when I talk about really understand self-awareness, the I in team. For me, I will always have my teammates' backs, regardless of what happens. We'll talk about it in private if I don't agree or if there's something going on that that maybe what you know was against our values or something, but in public, I will always have my teammates back always, because if we don't, and we can't talk about it privately, you know, it's funny. We thought, you know, one of the topics of the podcast we're going to do in the fall, when we come back is about how to argue gracefully, you know, and how to, how to work through things. And I think what happens is that if you don't have your teammates back or you throw them under the bus, there's the trust is is just destroyed. And when you don't have trust, you don't have consistency. When you don't have consistency, you can't build trust. (laughs) And it's a vicious cycle. And working on a team, whether it's in business, sport, life, we need that trust. 
And if I know you have my back, even when I screw up, then everybody moves forward. Well, it's interesting in all of this, you know, is something that we've learned along the way. So we've talked about, you know, working with world-class players, you know, professional players, professional athletes, but understand something in this conversation, folks, is that along the way, we were working with the trainers, we were working with the equipment managers, we were working with the Zamboni drivers, like we were crossing paths. I don't want to say yeah, working the with the psychologists, them. the nutritionists, everybody. Right. So how we worked with them was also impactful and the players were at the effect of it, as were we. So in other words, if we were so in our ego around it or not paying attention to our environment or not understanding that we are part of a much bigger picture. Can you imagine if I would have criticized the, the physios or we would have said, hey, you know, the skate guy, what a loser. Or yeah. somebody would have said something negative about me in that regard. It erodes the trust. So the, the people that are around the players have to have the same story and have to have the player's best interest at heart or it doesn't work. It is. And, you know, I always remember having a conversation with uh, Craig McTavish one time and Kevin Lowe, and we were talking about a way to help pro players perform better. Actually, I had gotten a call from Glenn Sather at one point, and it was really about the performance of the player. And I was trying to express to them that we don't spend enough time really looking at their equipment. So that's a different story. But the point is this, is Craig McTavish looked at me and he goes, if this works, I'll know. He says, I'll know if a player picks up a half a stride. So imagine that, mm -hmm. a half a stride. They know the game. They know the game. They know the players so well. So the point of it is around all of that is that everybody comes in to support the team, to support the players, and it all has to be that the equipment manager, for example, I'll use the Oilers as an example, uh, at the time was Barry Stafford, who's retired now, is was the head equipment. Best in the world. Best in the world. And I... You know, I worked uh, Team Canada for her. While he was at Team Canada, I worked training camp. It was all some really cool stuff that was happening. But the point is, is that in that was the trust that I would show up and he's not there. He's going, okay, I've got a training camp. I've got professional players. I got wannabe players. I need you to support me in that dressing room. And we were able to do that. And, and have my back. And have his back. So the point is around all of that is that we have to pay attention to understand that it is about this bigger environment, this ecosystem that supports the team, that supports the players, and it all is something that we can't get to. Whatever environment we're in, that could be in our careers, in the world of real estate, of course, we've got teams, we've got lawyers, we've got uh, property managers, we've got accountants, we've got handymen. Mortgage it's, brokers. So how do we show up and how do we support everybody in achieving an outcome at, that supports them as well? And knowing that nobody's perfect. Okay, so I think it's important nobody's perfect. That's for <laughs> darn sure. One of the biggest lessons you learned was from Joey Moss. Now, oh. Joey Moss was a very unique, unique individual in the Oilers dressing room. And you learned a really simple but important lesson from Joey. Uh, go ahead and share this story. Joey was the first girlfriend of Wayne Gretzky. was her younger brother, and he was born with Down syndrome. And... For some reason, he just loves sport. 
He loved sport. He ended up working for the Edmonton Eskimos, and he came into the Oiler dressing room. Wayne brought him in, actually. As, he's just a kid. He's just a kid, you know, and he was young, and he would wash towels and fold towels, and, and the guys just loved him. He just, he didn't impose anything. He, he just was a light that we all loved. And <laughs> I think it was my second or third year at training camp. And there was a, a moment where like a day where I wasn't on the schedule very much. And I had a bit of free time to do, to do stuff. So I walked up to Joey and Joey was, um, he was washing out the Gatorade jugs and filling them. And I'm, this is a big job. And those things are heavy. You know, and I'm thinking, you know, he's, he's like five, six, I'm five, eight, you know, he's, he's, but he's a hardworking dude. And there was me, I, you know, I'm strong, I'm fit, I'm young, I'm going to, I'm going to carry these. And I start, I go to grab a Gatorade jug and he looked at me with these beautiful eyes. And he said to me, he said, Stephanie, just do your job. I'll do mine. Just do your job, Stephanie. And everything got quiet around me. And I realized that I was trying to jump into his world and help him. I was helping. You're I thought being, I was helping. Oh, no, you're being too, you try too I hard. I too hard guy, right? <laughs> and then I realized when he looked at me, he's like, okay, so the lesson there is that if we all just do our jobs to the best of our ability, this team will be a highly, highly well-oiled machine. But because I was trying to help, trying too hard, he's the one that put me in my place. And I'll never forget that moment. And to me, that's one of the biggest lessons. And when I bring that forward into the world of the Olympic Games or my business coaching consulting clients, it's like, okay, where are you, whether it's through motion versus action, trying to help someone with the best intentions, obviously, of course, but it doesn't serve because then you're not doing your job. Some regards, it disempowers it totally. And, and that's, I think, what I, I got when he looked at me that way. He's like, you don't think I can do this? Yeah. Right? The, and yeah, so do your job, Do Stephanie. your job, Stephanie. Okay. As we wind down, I want to hit on this one. There's a great quote, and it is, forgive everything, forget nothing, expect nothing, gain everything. It is a cycle. Ooh, yeah. That one? Let's dig into that one. There's a saying that it's like, um, do less, get more, right? And people look at that as a kind of a, wow, that's kind of hooey, hooey, woo, woo, do less, get more. What does that even mean? Well, what I learned in the world of sport and business is that shit, if shit hasn't happened yet, it's going to. So be prepared and understand that if something happens, it's not happening to you. So when situations occur, and they have in my career and yours, you know, to be to be frank, is that we have to find a place and have the self-awareness to forgive and to forgive, meaning in the in forward giving, we have to forgive or everything gets stuck. So I have learned is that regardless of what happens, it's not about me. I have to forgive situations. I have to forgive myself. And I have to forgive. I have to look forward to where else I can give. And here's the second part. Forget nothing. I'm like an elephant. (laughs) I forget nothing. I have a crazy memory, a little bit affected these days with the heat, and I'm, I'm sure it's probably age, but forget nothing. So you can make your choices going forward and not be a victim. 
yes, I've forgiven the things that have happened, and I don't forget what's happened, who was responsible, and if I'm going to make the same mistake twice, shame on me. The next part is expect nothing. Expect nothing, gain everything. When I go into a situation with expectations, that's where I get my ass handed to me. This is how it should be. This is what I need. This is what all these goals and da da da. And you go in with all these expectations and then you're shut down. So, my theory is expect nothing so that whatever comes in, you can process. You're an open space, an open vessel, and you will gain so much more when you expect nothing. Beautiful. And it is a cycle, isn't it? It is such a cycle. You know, the forgiveness thing is such a powerful one for many because we like to harbor these resentments. And I always go back to, you know, that whatever the exact quote is, I don't know, but, you know, being angry or hating somebody or not forgiving somebody is like drinking ex- drinking poison and expecting them to die. There is a phrase that it is no forgiveness, as in N-O, N-O, forgiveness, no peace. N-O. N-O, forgiveness, no, no peace. peace. No peace as N-O, peace. Yeah. No forgiveness as in K-N-O-W, no peace. I love the English language. I love the English language. So <laughs> when you know forgiveness, there is no peace. But when you know forgiveness, there you is peace. peace. And forgiveness is the greatest release because the person that you're not forgiving... They don't care. They don't care. They have no idea. They have no idea. They're not carrying that weight. You are. Anyways, so as we wind around, any profound insights or how would you like to wrap this up today? Well, I think the biggest thing is to, when you look back on your own life, I look back on my life and I go, gosh, I wish I would have learned these lessons sooner. But that's actually not true. I learned them at the exact right time. And they may sound funny, you know, the other, the other one is Glenn Sather taught me is fish start to stink at the head. And we're seeing that right now in our <laughs> what's going on in our world. These leaders, you know, they start to stink at the head and shit goes, you know, what do you say? Flows downhill. Yeah, I guess it does. That's the other thing is that we need to bring these lessons forward. So take a look at your life. Who have you learned some significant lessons from? What situations have you maybe learned an oddity and odd like my mom you know being able to say to Wayne Gretzky no do you want my autograph I mean she in that moment was so ready to empower you know just hurt him and her going I'm not your fan dude you can just I wasn't listening to your phone call relax just relax you know you can be yourself and so do I have anything profound I don't I don't know I don't actually ever think I'm profound but some of the lessons that I've learned I believe are profound and I hope that this has been helpful. We always hope this has been helpful. So folks, if you're still here and you've been listening, uh, thanks for listening. Remember to share and like, and you know, if any feedback, we'd appreciate it. And Stephanie, that was awesome. Thanks. That was so fun. Thanks, son. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends as it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener. If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, 
Patrick out.